Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another bonus episode of the Failed Blockbusters Retrospective Season 3, Episode 9 out of 8. Yes. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-host, Matt Garingo. Are you talking to me? No. Are you talking to me? Oh, get it? Because he said that in the other movie. That Get it? Because it's Academy Award winner Robert De Niro. We're talking about the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Fuck yeah! I forced the vote. Forced yeah, the uh, yeah, just, we did. Just like the ouster of the Speaker of the House, I guess that just happened. Oh, that did just that happened like fucking yesterday. Yeah, it happened yesterday. There was kind of like that happened a, like twelve hours ago. Yeah, <laughs> the time of recording. Yeah. So um, yeah, we don't. And apparently, some of the more radical Republicans. I, this could just be something people are saying on Twitter, but they're trying to find a way to make Donald Trump Speaker. Which doesn't make any sense, and I don't think they can legally do. But um, what a what a it, what 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 a, what a time! What a time! Anyways, Matt, what's your history with Rocky and Bullwinkle as cartoons? Because we're gonna talk about the movie, but this this well, goes places. For one, does anyone even remember this movie exists? <clears throat> Um, when you brought it up for the, the contenders for failed blockbusters this year, one, like one specific 30 second sequence popped into my brain and it was a TV spot set to the music of NSYNC for oh. the events of Rock and Bullwinkle. Mm. Cause I saw that, I must've seen that TV spot like a hundred times when I was a kid. Is it the one where there's this Bullwinkle at the end of it say, I was just getting jiggy with it, which is the line in the movie? Probably. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I remember the TV spot with De Niro saying, are you talking to me? They used that in the advertising for this movie. Yeah, that was going to get the the parents of the kids into this because they're like, oh, it's a a taxi driver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking. That's what they thought. It's, what, what it's happened? Travis Bickle. He's in yeah. a kids' film. That's funny. Yeah. Hey, this this will be the first time that he um, sort of reprises that that mantra from Taxi Driver. The second time will be in an upcoming ad for Uber. Oh Did yeah, you know they're that? doing the. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and then um, Paul Schrader was like, "Well, time to kill myself." <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Did he, you know it's in Paul Schrader's contract that he's not allowed to tweet while he's uh, while he's promote while he's working on or promoting a movie? Did, did they officially add that? Or are you making a joke? Because I I'm do pr- think they should add that. I think it's real because that's why he gets like those weird hiatuses where he yeah. just doesn't say anything, and then he comes back with like three just killer tweets and then one like insane one. <laughs> like, yeah, or Facebook posts. Facebook yeah, I guess posts. that's what he, he does. He, yeah, everyone shares his Facebook posts on Twitter. On Twitter, so. Because yeah. they, they we... are, half the time they're amazing, and the other half they're like, dude, get off, like, don't don't say anything, ever. The other times he's like, I just finished a script, you know who would be perfect for this? Kevin Spacey. And then you're like, no, no, no. Like, don't do it, don't what, do it. One of the greatest writers in American film history, 
Um, yeah, just don't post like half the time, bro. Yeah. Hey, what are you gonna do? Isn't he like? Is, doesn't he go to like Taylor Swift concerts and shit? Yeah, like he's a genuine Taylor Swift fan. He might just be kind of a pervert, but he does seem to like her music. I don't know. I'm, the, 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 the writer of Taxi Driver might be a pervert infatuated with a young woman. I find that hard to believe. Oh my um, god. Okay. Any, speaking of great writers, you know who wrote this movie, The Adventures well, of yes. Rocky and well, Bullwinkle? No, no. We will, we'll, we're going to circle back to that. I have to talk about my history with Rocky and Bullwinkle first. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, I saw this in theaters, first of all. I'm one of Whoa. the five, I'm one of the five Americans who apparently paid to see this movie in theaters. Um, I have vivid memories of it, and then I don't think I ever watched it again. <laughs> I think I caught it on TV like once or twice afterwards, but it wasn't one I sought out. Um, and I do remember it being advertised a lot, but um, Rocky and Bullwinkle in this weird era of the of the late 90s was one of the regular cartoons that used to air like a late night on Cartoon Network. It was mm-hmm. like in reruns. And it was popular enough. Jay Ward, who uh, famously the co-creator of such character, I think I have to say co-creator because I think he took more credit than maybe he deserved, but I don't know all the details there. But mm-hmm. uh, his name is on characters like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Dudley Do-Right, who was a supporting segment on the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. He wasn't even, he didn't even have his own show. Um, same with Peabody and Sherman. Do you remember Peabody and Sherman? They did a movie. I, I uh, do remember that. I remember that movie being pretty good, actually. Go to hell. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, most importantly, George of the Jungle, which, uh, this might shock you, Diego. Um, did you know the original George of the Jungle cartoon? There are only 17 episodes. That does not shock me. There are only 17 episodes. Um, there was like a weird reboot that came back, I think on like Canadian television. I only know because like animation nerds get salty about it because I guess it's terrible. Um, that's like 52 episodes long. And that was a weird thing. Remember, remember the show Johnny Test? Remember that cartoon? That, that came, like, right at the tail end of, like, me not watching cartoons anymore. Yeah, same. But, yeah. It yeah, was, yeah, like, yeah. right at the tail end. Or, I am homesick one day, and it's what airs, like, while you are you would be at school. <laughs> like, oh. Um, which is another, I think, Canadian cartoon that is also kind of hated. Um, but George of the Jungle, uh, three years before this, was made into a movie starring now Academy Award winner Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. And that movie... Made a hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Oh, I didn't um, know it was a hit. That's it was I remember that movie. Huge hit. First George of the Jungle was a huge hit, and this is this weird run that happens of like the first time Hollywood kind of like gets into like developing IP, right? Where they're like, well, what do we got? And it's a little too early to cash in on like Gen X and millennial nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're just a little too early for that. So what they're forced to do is they do, you know, like the Adams Family, which is, ends up being this monster hit. And then the Adams Family kind of leads to stuff like the Brady Bunch movie, which I think we've talked about on this show before. We've talked about it slightly. Oh, yeah, I brought up the fact that the, uh, the, the siblings are in love with each other in the movie. <laughs> An actual plot point in the 90s uh, Brady Bunch movie. 
What a fucked uh, up country. Hey, well, hey, they're not related, so that makes it okay. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it perfectly um, fine. I, uh, I would disagree heavily. That is that is just like 90s cynicism, cynicism right there, though. Where Is that what that is? I no, 100% I think it's it incest. is. No, no, it's a, it's a bunch of Gen Xers growing up. There's nothing on TV in the 80s because it's a, because everything's terrible. Uh and you just watch reruns of like Happy Days and the Brady Bunch, and then you're fucking you're a Gen X or you're disaffected because Ronald Reagan's president, <laughs> and you're like, man, it, look, what if the siblings like, had sex with each other? Ah, like you, you're being like all like edgy and shit. Like that was their version of edgy before like the internet came around, right? Because yeah. you know they're technically not related, dude. Like what if what if that was the episode, man? Now people just write fan fiction. <laughs> You know, are way, it, way too sincere about incest. It this explains a lot of where our culture has headed in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, very unfortunate. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, Ronald happens. Reagan really is responsible for like everything wrong in. No, Ronald Reagan right killed America. Like everything, he, he, all the dominoes rolling started with him. I mean, Nixon. We can blame, but there was like a moment where we could have just turned everything around after Nixon, and then we were like, "What if we do the opposite?" And then Ronald Reagan came around. So I've never wanted to kill Ronald Reagan more. I'm glad he's dead, but I well, want to yeah, like. Don't worry. I, I wish I, I could have pulled the trigger, but anyways. Do you know he had dementia like the last year he was president? Like yeah, isn't that, that's like the 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 famous uh, peanut butter gum conspiracy. Have you heard of that? Um no. So, like there, it was a conspiracy that the um, the CIA put like uh, oh yeah on his gums, yeah so it looks yeah. like he's talking because yeah, he's trying so to eat like, it like like the fucking horse from Mr. Ed or whatever yeah yeah uh, yeah which well, is very funny and that's that's not you know accurate but it might as well you be know what, you know what the onion headline was when Reagan died nation becomes fully erect. No, <laughs> it was a uh, Reagan's body dies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's pretty brutal. good. Pretty brutal. But oh, that's great. The other one, uh, I was thinking of. For some reason, I was thinking of onion obituaries recently. I don't know why. Because um, they're great. Bunch of phonies mourn J.D. Salinger. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what was the other one? God damn, there was one. Oh, when uh, when uh, George Harrison died, the headline was just Ringo next. <laughs> Pretty funny stuff. Yeah. But okay, they did the, uh, uh, history. They did the history. Uh, incredibly sincere one when when Ebert died. Did you see that? Oh yeah, yeah. We've talked about it before because yeah. Ebert. Oh yeah. He's in my notes for this, by the way. Oh, was he a defender of this? It feels like he might have been. Yeah, well, well, the the Ebert thing you're referencing is that Ebert, um, his headline for from the onion when he died was like, uh, well, uh, I, I know Ebert what it was. Human existence as a triumph. Yes, yes, very and, sweet. And, yes, it was, it was an oddly sweet headline from the onion. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but you, he gave yeah, so this movie a, three uh, out of four stars. That makes sense. So there's this weird run in the 90s where everyone's like, oh, all right, let's let's 
people let's let's adapt all these IPs. And then this is like right after the Damverse, where it's like they do George of the Jungle, which is a hit. But then the other one that comes like right before this is um, what the fuck was it called? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Dudley Do Right uh, with Brendan Fraser. So it was trying to make Lightning Strike twice, right? Like we got the we got yeah, George yeah. of the Jungle back. Let's do it again. And that one was like a huge bomb. So that might be a future episode. A definite future one is what comes a year later, which is the Josie and the Pussycats movie, which is another like notorious bomb mm-hmm. uh, where where uh, it felt like they gave they just gave, let people do whatever the fuck they want with like these IPs and that's a weird that's have you ever seen that movie? Oh, I've seen. I'm gonna hold on to my take for that movie. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta. I we'll, have we'll one. Do that um, one of these days because it is kind of a. The only thing you need to know is that the uh, the opening of that movie uh, has a song about anal sex. <laughs> people should watch that movie. People, people, check out Josie and the Pussycats. People, like I know it's one. I think it's been reclaimed in that way that people kind of get annoyed with, but it's actually pretty fucking funny. So check it out. I guess that hasn't ended because, like, we are like it's. We can judge the people who thought the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie would be a good idea, but like, we we're the generation of Riverdale, so. Yeah, but but Riverdale is an odd duck because look, I'll, I'll be honest. That first season, it's it's very entertaining. It really get, is. I know there are defenders of that show, like um, even when it got and bad. then. Yeah, like, you know, I always say there's a difference between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Riverdale, kind of like the first season's Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. Everything else is kind of Batman and Robin. <laughs> um, well, if that sounds like your bag. Well, out of watching the show, so... Yeah, I'm not trying to... It's, it's like seven seasons. The, the cast is incredibly attractive. Like, it's fine. You, if, if, you, if you, like, thirst watch stuff, you're going to have no fucking problem with that show. Um, I promise you that. Everyone no, is, is drop-dead gorgeous. I don't know if the cast of Riverdale does it for me at all. Okay. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't... But, like, CW, like, is my go-to for, like, pretty people on TV that aren't attractive at all. You know what I'm That's saying? That's fucking hysterical. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. Um, they... It works for me. That's what I'll say. Okay. Um, okay, I'm not... I'm not... It apparently <laughs> works for most of the country. Like, yeah. But look, like... Riverdale, I think people really started clamoring around it as it started wrapping up again, too. Yeah. Because, like, we're, you know, coming out the the end of the writer's strike and hopefully the end of SAG striking um, and hopefully getting what they deserve and more, like right, like the writers did, which is, like, what a great deal. Like, better than I thought they were going to fucking mm. get. I'm so happy. Um, but I think people really started reclaiming Riverdale a little bit towards the end of, its, of this run because it was like, what better example is there of the possibilities of television mm-hmm. than something like Riverdale. Like, I genuinely it, mean this. Like, people were oddly, like, when the fuck did this show, like, become this? This could only happen in television. This this weird de-evolution into whatever the fuck people wanted to do week on a week, like, on a weekly basis. Well, it also kind of became this weird, uh, this weird, how do you say it, like, Requiem for the CW because like the CW like canceled all its shows like right before that like yep where like, yeah and that show really... could only have existed on the CW yeah and there was like an era where the CW was like 
like it was kind of a a, a big deal for a certain segment of people. Like me, it was <laughs> all right. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not judging. It was just for whatever reason. Was Supernatural on CW? Supernatural was on CW. Yes, yeah. one of the staples. Yeah, like for whatever reason, I never got into that supernatural stuff. Like I like that, and like, oh yeah, they had Charmed. Like this is like earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Roswell. Do you remember Roswell? I never saw Roswell, but I know of it. Yeah, it's and they're all kind of of a similar thing, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And Star Trek Voyager yeah, for yeah. some reason. Um, but oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Well. Well, that's weird how much the fucking CW formula has kind of just stayed the same. I'm looking at, like, the earlier stuff, and it's like, you know, Charm, Dawson's Creek, Seventh Heaven, Smallville, like... Yeah, the they really tapped into that young adult, like, fantasy yeah. stuff. Um, mm-hmm. To the point where, like, that's just not anywhere else besides kind of Netflix, and even then it's like they have just Stranger Things left, and that's going to wrap up. Yeah. And so there was sort of, like... Um, this morning, you're right, as Riverdale was ending, because um, a lot of like uh, uh, pre-WGA and now WGA writers that I followed, like from the Tumblr era into like this current era, they were they're like, well, this is the stuff that I wanted to write, you know, like it's it's not for everyone, but it's our thing, and like, mm-hmm. or it inspired them, you know, to write other stuff. Eventually, they they started writing fan fiction and became like like yeah. uh, professional writers at some point. I mean, look at Chloe Zhao. She wrote fan fiction, you know? Oh, she, I did not know that. Yeah, she's talked about writing fan fiction. She won't share it, but she said, like, she had an AO3 account. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Uh, did and she say like, what she wrote fan fiction for? I can't remember. I don't think so, but I, I don't think she did. Um, if, it's, if it's Star Wars, we are storming Lucasfilm. I know, I know. If if, if if she had any, if she had any interest in, you know, what? we're we're fucking doing Eternals for failed blockbusters next year. I, I think we have like, to. Like, go fuck yourself, everyone. That movie's so good. I rewatched it That's... thinking like it wouldn't hold up. <laughs> it holds. It holds the fuck up. Like, yes, era of just garbage that's coming out of the superhero fucking film industry. Like, yeah, you it's... people don't know how good you fucking had it, and now it is... look at you. It's literally the only only Marvel film where I'm like, if they re-release it in theaters, I will go see it on the biggest screen possible. Like, which so you can't I. say about any of the other Marvel films. Yeah, it's the only one that plays with scale and shit. We're not here to talk yeah. about Eternals, whatever. But, the point just, being, yeah, about it's, television, it's changing. Um, it's a little sad. It's it's a little scary. Hopefully, yeah. Well, stuff I mean, look, there was a big change. Out. There was a big change in my early childhood where, you know, essentially, I think we both were similar where, well, you didn't have cable, right? Like, No, but I would, I would yeah. go to a, a grandparent's house and, and they would have cable. But I, th- not, to, not to fucking throw my, like, middle class privilege around, but, like, <laughs> I think it's a little different where, like, if Cartoon Network is just what's on, like, loop in your house when you're a child, right? Like, yeah. where it's just, like, your fucking parents don't want to fucking deal with you anymore, so they just set you in front of the TV. Um... <laughs> And uh, to think that for the first few years of my life where I'm able to kind of like take in information and remember it, cartoons were car- that aired were stuff that like they hadn't been on, you know, they were like old Looney Tunes and like Rocky and Bullwinkle, which is from the fucking like 50s and 60s. Like mm-hmm. that, that was the stuff they used to air. And then 
in like 97, Cartoon Network does Dexter's Laboratory, and that's when the shift starts happening to original cartoons, you know? But even then, there's like a slow... D.D. Yeah, they did. What are you doing in my laboratory? They keep trying to tap into the early Cartoon Network nostalgia because they did a they did a Powerpuff Girls reboot cartoon that no one seemed to like, and then uh, they did a they were gonna do a live action TV show and I think it's dead finally. Do you remember this? Uh, that it is dead. Um. That one is, 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 I think, also suffering from the, the tail end of CW just not committing to long-form yeah. oh, was that anymore. Oh, was that a CW thing? It was a CW thing, but oh, okay. here's the thing. People were also, like, like ragging on it, and look, I, I wouldn't say the costumes look particularly good, and mm-hmm. I'm not, like, saying the show would have been good. It was a Diablo Cody production. Well, that, yeah, that was the wrote thing the for script, me so. of being like, let's wait and see what this is before, because Diablo Cody, you know... Um, takes wild fucking swings. So yeah, yeah. I would have at least been interested, but it was kind of like I, I was more annoyed that it felt like uh, I think Craig McCracken who like had nothing to do with it, like at all. Like, yeah, they even like they didn't even throw him like an executive producer credit. Like that kind of bugged me. No, that does. That does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like Cartoon Network is like the house him and like Gandy Tartakovsky built. <laughs> like, uh-huh. It's it's like they, these guys should be getting more credit. Um, but I'm surprised. I'm surprised no one is like throwing around like we're doing Dexter. Like I mean, not the other Dexter that's the serial killer, but Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> um, you know that feels like we're we're like a year or two away from someone trying that. You know. Yeah, it needs to get popular on TikTok or something. I guess. and I'm not even saying that out of like cynicism. Like I do think that that has to what like that has to be what happens. Like the the money bags need to make notice of it. Yeah. You know. But I feel like I just feel like it. They could try it any day now. Like you'll hear it, and I feel like Barbie might light that fuse. Although the idiots who made money off Barbie are like, you know what people want? The Hasbro shared universe, or is she Mattel? I don't even fucking know. But uh, they were like the, the shared doll universe. People were like, no, that's not what we liked about it. But so maybe just the people running Hollywood right now have like they don't even have the minimum creativity that would lead to something like the Rocky and Bullwinkle fucking movie. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> which is like, that was a low, but like I found all these articles from the time that are like, what a fucking low culture is hit that we're resorting to adapting Rocky and Bullwinkle. And it's like, Oh dear God. <laughs> but you don't even know. <laughs> also the fun thing, the one article I read, uh, they, they were talking about like the recent bombs, which, uh, had been uh, uh, film adaptations of The Mod Squad, Dudley Do-Right, Mikhail's Navy, and... Uh, oh, the other big hit one was The Flintstones with John Goodman. Um, do you remember the Flintstones movie? Right, yes, of course. The the Hanna-Barbera stuff. Yeah. Well, the, other thing, the other thing about Jay Ward is just, like, back in the day, it was, like, him and, like, Hanna-Barbera. Like, those were your cartoons, kids. And like Looney Tunes reruns, which were made for like theatrical releases, but mm-hmm. uh, so like it was a very non-crowded market um, of cartoons. But did you, did you ever yeah. see that? Did you ever see that uh, John Goodman interview he did with uh, what do you call it? Um, they, where they sit you down, they sit the actor down, and they do the like go through your career type interviews. Oh, uh, I think it's like GQ that does them. No, I yeah. haven't. I should. I love and, listening to John Goodman talk. And it's one of the one of the funniest fucking things 
I've ever seen where he's uh, he's talking about they go like the Flintstones and he was like I was working with Spielberg on Always and we were doing a script reading Spielberg produced the Flintstones movie for anyone who doesn't know um, oh. and, and uh, he said we we're doing a script reading and uh, right before we begin Spielberg stands up and goes I have found my Fred Flintstone and gestures to me He's like, yeah, that's how I got the part. And then, like, there's, like, a long pause. And Goodman goes, I felt like I got railroaded. Aww. <laughs> like, he was Poor like, I got, I got tricked into being Fred Flintstone. <laughs> and then there's a, there's a oh. sequel called The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, which is actually a prequel about how, uh, Fred and Wilma met. And do you know who plays um, Fred Flintstone in that movie? I don't think I do. So, oh, um, wait! Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, Robert Baratheon, right? Yeah, Mark Addy. <laughs> yeah. I just, when I realized that connection, it blew my mind. But that's another one that's a huge bomb. Saw that in theaters. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, this, I mean, uh, this... It's early 2000s. This is just take them to... There's a fucking kids movie playing. Just fucking go see it. Like Yeah. It's like the last era of that. Probably the last one I went to see in that regard was like Looney Tunes Back in Action, which is like a few years later. Um, but, uh, yeah, I read but this whole article. that's a good movie. The, the other funny thing I read about it was in this article I read in the, uh, the Los Angeles Times, The Misadventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, they talk about the... One, this movie bombing, um, it delayed, it put halts on Universal's plan to do The Green Hornet. Mm. At the time, this was at a time when they were developing The Green Hornet with Jet Li as Kato. Um, And then it's like, and still on the horizon is Charlie's Angels, which is looking to be a bomb. Um, It was given to a first-time director, Mick G, who, uh, after everyone else passed on it, and it says, like, and rumors of Bill Murray bringing in his own writer to rewrite his dialogue. And mm. it's like, oh, this is apparently when people thought he was not the problem of that movie. Um, mm. but, <laughs> but it's kind of like, Charlie's Angels probably going to bomb, and that movie ends up being a big hit, though. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just a weird, weird article. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so. I was desperate. Did you find anything out? I found a little bit, but did you find anything out about where the fuck this movie came from? No. So, like, nothing at all? There is... uh, No, there's so little about where this movie came from. Yeah, the other thing in this article is they talk about that, they're like, no one at Universal is willing to comment on this movie, like, now that it's out. They're like, no one wants to admit to, like, how this movie got made. Like, everyone's baffled. No one has any answers. Like Universal, basically, is like we will never speak of this movie again. <laughs> like, yeah, like the, really, the closest thing I found besides that is like an interview with the writer, which I, I can still hold off on. Um, uh, we'll get to him in a moment. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, I, I would love to hear what the writer has to say. But the only two things I know is that Robert De Niro is a producer on this, and I believe at the time. He this was either the biggest paycheck for a single performance or biggest paycheck comparative to the amount of screen time an actor had. Like this for a long time this movie stood 
for as that for De Niro. Like he was a he was paid an obscene amount of money. And I found weird, contradictory information. Some people saying that this was actually a passion project of De Niro's, that he basically fostered it. And it's and the other producer is uh, Jay Rosenthal, Jane Rosenthal, who is like uh, one of like the uh, executives of like the Tribeca Film Festival, and like works with De Niro, like is one of De Niro's like go-to producers. So, like, she's produced, like, a lot of his stuff, including The Irishman. Yeah, I was so about this... to say, she she was nominated for... <laughs> I mean, that was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it's... it does, Although, I have found other quotes that were like, De Niro did it for the money. But, like, I, there was nothing really definitive. But it does seem like it was some sort of odd De Niro passion project. The other thing I found is that, like, at the beginning of the 90s... I don't even know if anyone remembers this, but... Seagram's, the conglomerate, which I believe started as a beverage company, um, purchased MCA Universal in like the early 90s. Does anyone remember this? I do not remember this. This was like a big deal. And they they put a lot of this stuff into production. They, they tried to get Rocky and Bullwinkle made in an attempt to, quote, Disneyfy Universal. Which, goddamn... Does that sound familiar these days? Mm. Um, it didn't work, though. Um, speaking of the Seagram's purchase of uh, Universal, have you ever seen the short film Your Studio and You? No. Do you, do you, right, so, Your Studio and You was made by Trey Parker and Matt Stone of South Park fame. Um, I believe, like, just before South Park turns into a TV show. But, you know, like, South Park is famously one of the uh, early, like, kind of viral videos before viral was even a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was it was one of those where, like, a VHS copy of South Park was passed around Hollywood and people being like, this is funny. They got hired to do another short as, like, a Christmas card for someone. And then someone, I think one of the Zuckers, was like, they want us to make a uh, a video to play at a party for Seagram's executives because, like, they just took over Universal. And they, they were like, who can we get? They got Matt Stone and Trey Parker, and it's this weird little, like, 14-minute short film of uh, that they made all on their own. There was no script. It was just, like, they had to make it up. And it's just them. It's, like, in the parody of, like, those, like, weird educational films being, like, here's what a film studio is like, right? It's yeah. like black and white and stuff like that. It ha it it's <laughs> it has in it uh James Cameron, Michael J. Fox, Brian Glazer, Heavy D, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Angela Lansbury, Tracy Lords, Demi Moore, Sylvester Stallone as Rocky, um, and Steven Spielberg are all in the video. <laughs> what the fuck? And it's never been released officially on home video. I believe I even read a quote somewhere where, like, Trey Parker and Matt Stone said uh, they don't even own a copy of it. But you can find it on YouTube, at least last I checked. Uh, it's it's a weird little artifact. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Jesus, I, I gotta track this down. It's only, like, 15 minutes, so it's it's worth your time. Um, but that was, a, that was a byproduct of the Seagram's purchase of Universal. So that was like literally all I could find. And then I was like, maybe there's some answers in the people who made this movie. And um, for some reason, I had never bothered to look that up. 
and then I did Diego. Would yes. you like to say who wrote it? Uh, this movie was written by Kenneth Lonergan. <laughs> For those who don't know Kenneth Lonergan, he is a well-respected uh, film director and playwright. Um, he, you, you might know him from such films as Gangs of New York, You Can Count on Me, Margaret. Margaret and the whole saga. Margaret. Margaret released. Margaret. For those that have actually seen Margaret, I, it's this is kind of a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um, and most recently known by uh, Manchester by the Sea. Which he hasn't made a film since, which is fucking infuriating to me. But Yeah, yeah. But that, that movie is just like cripplingly depressing. Like It is. But that's it, well, a tough but, one. But it like was a surprising hit. It made like $80 million. Oh, yeah, huh? And was it nominated for Oscars? And do you know what the story is with that, though? Um, Casey Affleck? Well, no, there's that, but, like, whatever. Like, but Lonergan, after the whole Margaret fiasco, he, like, basically couldn't get work, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And I th- I believe the story with Manchester by the Sea is Matt Damon signed on to direct it. And then purposefully, ba- like like passed at the last second and then was like like oh i'm busy my schedule something overran somewhere but uh just have lonergan do it like he basically like like he took the bullet to get lonergan to direct the movie i think that's the story with manchester by the sea that they basically had to trick the studio into letting lonergan direct it you know what that kind of makes me respect matt damon a little bit yeah matt damon's weird like that where he's like it's like he does that and then there's like him shilling for crypto <laughs> like i know like half of half of the shit you hear about matt damon is like man he's like really going to bat for like education policy in the u.s and like gunning for teachers and he's really supporting like these other great creative artists and then he's like berating like a black woman on yeah uh, project green light and it's like yeah. what, like these two things they're so disparate <laughs> like i don't know how to make sense of him in my head anymore it's strange he's a he's a really strange figure but, yeah, yeah. When when he's good, he's good. When he's bad, it's like, man, fucking listen to your PR team. Yeah, and, and just, just hide out for a bit. Really, say about Lonergan is that he was one of the writers of uh, analyze this, the surprise hit De Niro comedy, directed by Harold Ramis, I believe. The uh, uh, it's uh, oh, he's a mobster in therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it's like, well, The Sopranos premiered like. <laughs> A year before that, but um, yeah, not 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 that uh, not that big of a swing at that point. Although I think it was one of those things that, like, both were kind of in production at the same time, and it was like a rush. Like they kind of like fast track both things, so it didn't look like the other one got there first. But um, yeah. yeah, so um, like, he, but he I, I, like... I found an I found an interview with Kenneth Lonergan um, mm. about. His stuff. Like this is this is a uh, November tenth, two thousand. Right. This is an, an IndieWire uh, interview. It's titled "You Can Count on Kenneth Lonergan." Uh, and you know they're asking about like uh, any directing experience he had when he made his first movie, which is uh, "You Can Count on Me." And he talks about how having directed a little bit in the theater, not too much, like one act, and every time someone else directed one of his plays, he was still really involved in the process. So he was a very like collaborative. Um, creative guy and he's you know he's, he's had work experience and he talks about like you know the difference between writing like for yourself and writing to like get something sold which is analyze this 
mm-hmm. you still have to like you still have to love something in the material when you're trying to just get it sold. Otherwise, you're just not going to be able to finish it or even sell it if you do finish it, right? Which is yeah, true. Yeah. You you have to like on some level believe what you're doing, which is why this industry is so fucking crippling to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, let me see if I could if I could just just find this 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 little tidbit about uh, the movie we heard to talk about today. Um, because he, he said that this movie, Rocky and Bullwinkle was an assignment he got when he was just looking for a job and he got to, uh, he got a chance to try out for the movie and he was hired to write it. Uh, and he says, I quote, it's not something I would have written by myself. I don't prefer broad fantasy comedy, but I do like it. It's fun working on different kinds of things because you don't get bored that way. He Goes on to reference Analyze This Again, which he wrote with a view towards selling it to the movies. And he's not, he wouldn't have written it for purely artistic purposes. But again, he would have found something that even with like mercenary motives, he got inspired by with the material to to finish it anyways. And so that's the most I found about him and Rocky and Bullwinkle, which is the most I found about anyone and Rocky and Bullwinkle. Mm Mm-hmm. What a strange film. It is. It does feel like it might have been written, though, by someone way overqualified, right? Like, this, a this little movie bit. does have that vibe where, like, it's reaching for something. And it also feels like someone who maybe has contempt for the industry they work in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so that, that might uh, bleed over. I gotta say, we can't. I don't wanna short sell the director, though. Who I was like, where the fuck did this person come from? Um, Des Mickenough? Yes. Also uh, a, a theater director. Yes, a mostly theater person at this per, uh, at this time, and has like very few other credits. Uh, their other their follow up film to this is I think a, a a movie that is just a stage recording of the George Bernard Shaw play Caesar and Cleopatra. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's like, yeah, it's like, like his other directing credits are like, as you like it, the Tempest, like, it's incredibly strange that like, I, that one, I was even more baffled with like, how did it land in this person's wheelhouse? Cause they seem to be more interested in like classical theater. Right. Mm-hmm. And they did like the stage production of the who's Tommy and shit like that. And it's, I just, it, it, it does feel like way overqualified people somehow got in the room and got this job. And it, I'm, I'm guessing that might be the De Niro thing, if this really was a passion project of his, that mm-hmm. he was picking these people because he liked them, even if they maybe weren't the right fit for the material. And, uh, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't mean to do... But, like, I honestly thought a little bit to Barbie while watching this movie. Um, of, I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah, of just like they, the people who wrote this really, in un, under other circumstances, would never have been allowed in the door, right? Like, yeah. But like, where Barbie has like become this like massive hit, uh, this one was the opposite of that. So, uh, uh, I guess I will also give my take on the film now, if maybe. that's all right with you. Yeah, I would ahead. also. I would also say this film is marginally less successful than Barbie <laughs> in, it, in what it's trying to achieve with the talent involved. Because as we've discussed, there's clearly talent 
in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, go ahead, Matt. What do you think about the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie? I, I honestly, I came to this wanting answers, and I only ended with more questions. This movie is a big what from me still after all these years. Um, what's weird is I don't know if I have like a strong opinion on it is what's the weirdest thing about it. Like it's taking some fucking swings, right? Like, yeah. And I almost want to like go like, well, good for you. But then I'm also like, it never settles on anything of substance ever. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a wildly uneven movie, I guess is what I'm saying. Look, there's some stuff in here that did make me laugh. No, no, I, I will it not did. deny that. I, I <laughs> yeah. also laughed occasionally during the movie. Uh, keyword being occasionally. Um, yeah. And honestly, this type of humor is kind of my sense of humor in a weird way with like the really bad puns. And yeah. Well, like, the... like, look, Bullwinkle, he made me laugh a lot. <laughs> okay. Not, not a lot, but the, the bad puns thing. Yeah. It's like, man, this isn't funny, but then they keep doing the joke. Yeah. And it like gets kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But... It, it goes, it is a weird one where it's like, it goes from being not funny to being funny to back to not funny. And then staying not funny, and then getting funny again. Like it's 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 an odd roller coaster of a movie. Yeah, well, I wouldn't call Diego, it a roller coaster. Diego, do you want to reenact some of the dialogue from this movie real quick? Like, do you want to improvise? Not a line really. That might be. No, no, we can improvise something. We can do something original. All right. Okay. Um, you be Bullwinkle. I'll be Rocky. Uh, you say something obviously stupid. Uh, 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 boy, watch or New York City sure looks different these days. Rocky, this isn't New York. This is Washington. That's all the dialogue oh. in this movie. <laughs> that that is ninety percent of the dialogue. That is ninety yeah. percent of the dialogue in this movie is Bullwinkle yeah. saying something dumb and then Rocky being like, "Bullwinkle, no." <laughs> uh. We should but mention sometimes that it made me laugh. June Foray, who voiced fucking Rocky, like when the show was on, I know voices Rocky again. Uh, she only died recently. She died like a few years ago. She was like ninety nine. Um, wow, one, good for yeah, her. Yeah, and she kept like she was she hung in there for a while, still doing like uh, voices in cartoons. I think she would pop up in movies every now and then. Yeah. Well, you know the, the Chuck Jones was... quote about her, right? No, I don't actually. Chuck Jones was quoted as saying, June Foray is not the female Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was the male June Foray. Hey, that makes sense, mm. honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, uh, people that don't know, June Foray was, like, kind of instrumental in, like, like making animation in America, like, yeah. what it is today, basically. Yeah, one of the, one of the, I mean, she is as important as Mel Blanc. Like, that is that quote is 100% accurate, right? Like, mm-hmm. she was most of the women in um, early Looney Tunes in the way that Mel Blanc voiced most of the other characters. Um, and it, it's just interesting that, like, 
to play that character for so long and to suddenly be in this big movie. Um, I don't even know where the fuck to begin with this fucking movie. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll say, like, look, um, I think she's actually, she still got it as Rocky. No, no, obviously. she's great. She's great. Um, I don't know the odd choice to be like, Rocky the squirrel can't fly anymore. Which feels like a I plot point like, that is just there for like a studio note. Yeah, it's like you gotta give them some sort of conflict or something. It's like, well, yeah. Rocky's like, maybe they don't believe in themselves anymore because uh, no one's watching their show anymore because it got canceled 40 years ago or whatever at the time. Yeah. And so, there you go. There's your there's the arc for that character. They have to believe in themselves again. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's that thing of like studios only know like three types of movies to make. Yeah. But Let's see, this is really a movie about hope. Yes. This is actually a movie about how fascists can use the entertainment industry to platform their message. I, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you you want to go there. That's sure. 100% what this movie's about. It's clearly written by someone who has contempt for their industry. Like, yeah. That they literally sign a deal with a guy who looks like a cartoon, a literal cartoon parody of a Nazi. Like... <laughs> That's what fearless leader is, right? Yeah. Although they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be Russian because you know the Cold War. Um, and the Cold War bullshit. Yeah, Potsylvania, I think, is where they're from. Yeah. Um, well, they're attached yeah. to the project. There is a scene early in the movie. Yeah, I mean that's the joke. But there is a scene early in the movie where they're still in cartoon form, and they are about to shoot um, men, women, and children. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Berlin Wall falls on them. And then they're like, then it's the the people just walk away. Um, but there is a joke about shooting children in the first five minutes of the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie. Uh, yeah, they signed Somehow a deal. Not not the craziest thing that happens in the movie. I know. Yeah, it, it kind of keeps getting crazier. They signed a deal with uh, who is it? Um, Janine Garofalo. Yeah, Janine Garofalo, a, a recurring member of the failed blockbuster. Yeah, uh, Jan- seasons. We- we did her. We did her wrong, America. Like, I feel like there was a moment where Jean Garofalo could have been like our next great actress, maybe, because she seems to be trying stuff. Yeah. And well, this and Mystery Men, she's fucking fantastic in both. I mean, yeah. she has like a very small part in this. You think she's gonna have a bigger part, and then it's like, no, she's just kind of there at the start. Fucking, and... fucking small parts. Carl Reiner sh- pops up in this movie for one line. <laughs> yeah. Well, the cameos in this are genuinely unhinged. Yeah. I don't know why it why it's happening. Maybe they the way it's these happening. people just liked Rocky and Bullwinkle and they're like, Oh, you're doing a Rocky and Bullwinkle movie, you know? I mean, that is the joke with Whoopi Goldberg's character, right? Yeah. Who is literally named Judge Cameo. Yeah. Like, uh and when once she notices it's Rocky and Bullwinkle, she gets excited. But uh-huh. and I was like, no, celebrities are held to a different standard. Yeah. <laughs> Case dismissed. <laughs> exactly. I mean. Yeah, it's a very it's, cynical movie. It's incredibly cynical. And it. I almost wonder if it goes a little too far, you know? I, I uh, think it does. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not. Because it stops being funny at a certain point. Like. It, it's very... I, I was kind of surprised by how mean this felt at times. Yeah. To the point where, like, I was like, I, I, I don't like seeing Rocky, the fake CGI squirrel, being sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, this doesn't feel good to watch. 
was a real bummer. And then Bullwinkle just being like, I'm here to save the trees, which it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's important. And like, everyone's treating him like he's a fucking dope. Because <laughs> he I is. Know. I know. Maybe like, it's just the world we live in now where I'm like, no, really? We should do he, that. Yeah, but he's such an earnest idiot that it's like, I would have talked to the president about the trees. Like, it's, my God. And, yeah, and I I, I don't want to throw uh, Piper Paradu under the bus. But uh, I think it's the writing. I don't think they, her character is supposed to kind of be like, someone who actually likes Rocky and Bullwinkle, I don't think they figured her out very well. So, like, she was probably supposed to offset a lot of the cynicism of the movie, right? Like, yeah. that she has, like, a weird, like, childlike innocence almost. Like, there's the whole joke about her having, like, her, her inner child is, like, being suppressed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they just didn't... They, like, either... Either she couldn't get there, or they just didn't know... They didn't write her very well. Because that, that's what feels off, is that, like, that sort of side of it that that's the really uneven side of the movie and then the, what's left is just like pure end of the millennium cynicism <laughs> like uh i i think it is more the writing than her mm-hmm. um because like in the middle chunks of the movie like you know they, they set this conflict where like she's gonna have to lie to, to the people to, to the idols that she grew up worshiping as a child right to the yeah. to her, her childhood heroes and then there's going to obviously, because of, of three-act structure, set up and pay off, there's going to have to be revelations. She's going to have to make it up to them. And there never really is that conflict. Yeah. Like, even when they go to, like, court with Judge Cameo, uh, Whippy Goldberg, and it's like, oh, she's going to have to take the stage. Because I had not seen the full film before, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like, when she takes the stage, it's like, this is when it's all going to come to light, obviously. And it, like... Doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't play into it. It's like, oh, the, the FBI agent is going to have to go take the stand and tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help them God. And then it's like, that's not relevant to that scene at all. So, like, that scene's just there for Bullwinkle to make jokes that mm-hmm. he's, he's accidentally playing a prosecutor, not a defender. So the whole thing just ends up feeling weird and, and like, lopsided. It's like, they had the conflict, but they didn't know how to, like, implement it throughout the rest of the movie. They just kind of cut back to the little kid in her eye, like, wanting yeah. her to make better decisions. Because she has, like, the young version of herself. We kind of snap zoom into her mind, her literal mind's eye at some points for approval or disapproval, you know? Yeah. It's a little, uh, little off. Um, it's, I, I, it is genuinely absurd. So... De Niro's in this movie. This oh yeah, Robert De Niro's in this movie. Um, um, how do, how do you feel about his performance? I don't know if I'd call it good, but holy fuck, is he committed? He is oddly committed. For you know who else is committed? Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander. Yeah, I think no. is is I would say Jason Alexander is good in this movie. No, no, he seems to be the one who like really understood the fucking character he's playing. <laughs> And I think it's like, it's from his time in Seinfeld, where where George had to commit to the most heinous, truly unhinged shit ever, right? No, he's he's definitely like kind of an like it's odd to say underrated, um, comedic actor, but like I feel like people only see him as George, but like he has this ability to commit to his performances that I don't think he gets enough credit for. 
Yeah, he really does. You know he never got an Emmy for Seinfeld? That's fucking psychotic. I know. That's that's insane. Like one of the easily one of the best comedic performances of all time. Um but uh he's a he's a weird career. He never really hmm, he never really capitalized off it. I mean he wouldn't have to, right? Like he's he's got those Seinfeld residuals for the rest of his life. Um, yeah. And I mean, he's but, done stage work. He, he's directed wait, in the theater. He, he he's just directed, directed the something theater. last year. He started in the theater. Um, he uh, he's on what is the his I believe his debut is uh the musical Merrill the Sondheim musical Merrily We Roll Along, which is like the famous Sondheim flop. Uh, like it, it's like an infamous flop on Hollywood mm. and on on Broadway, which maybe we could find an excuse to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. It's that's do you know that do you know that musical? I know of it. It's it, but do you know like what it's about? No. It's like a it's a story. It follows like three friends, and it's told in reverse chronology. So it starts with them like twenty years after their high school graduation, and it tells their their lives in reverse, and uh, it ends like with their graduation day, and ends oh. with a song like "Our Time." Um, which I, I, which, my fucking school, they sang that at one of my high school, like, in a core choir concerts. And it's like, that's, that's deeply depressing. <laughs> um, oh, it's, it's like the Soderbergh cut of Heaven's Gate. A little bit, yeah. In a weird yeah, way. Yeah, not a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a joke. Go listen to that episode. Um, yeah. But it's, but it famously, people, like, couldn't, the story is people couldn't tell what the fuck was happening. Because, <laughs> you know, on Broadway, people don't really age in a musical, so it's hard to do reverse chronology. And I believe they they resorted to uh, having the actors wear uh, T-shirts with the numbers on them that, ha- that had their age on them. <laughs> like, that's what they, were, <laughs> they had to resort to at a certain point. And it closed after, like, 16 performances. It's, it's like a huge flop. But I'm guessing the biggest of Sondheim's career. But um, there's an interesting documentary about it called The Best Worst Thing to Ever Happen. I recommend it. It's pretty good. I have to bring up one more Jason Alexander note. Mm-hmm. Did you know he has played the character of Hugo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame four times? I did know that. Um, is yeah. he in one of the video games, too? Is he in, like, King yeah, of Hearts? Well, he's in... The movie, Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. the animated storybook version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, a topsy-turvy game version of the Hunchback uh, of Notre Dame, and Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance. Yes, that's one of the ones I have not played, so... <laughs> Same, it was a 3DS game, so... Yeah. Missed but, the boat uh, on that one. Well, that title just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's Dream Drop Distance, there's Recoded, Birth by Sleep. Yeah. Uh... 364 days, whatever. 358 and a half days. Yeah, half days. Fucking Chain of Memories. Who could forget that? Melody of Memory. And the upcoming... The upcoming Kingdom Hearts 4. We were were talking about Jason Alexander in... um, In... Yeah, in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Which is... He's probably the worst part of that movie. um, Yeah, but it's not his fault. 
Not his fault. Those characters just shouldn't be there, right? Yeah, they should not exist in the movie. If they have to exist, hey, at least it's voiced by Jason Alexander. One mm. of them. One of them. She was on uh, Star Trek? No, actually. Which one? He, Which Star Trek? He's in an episode of uh, Voyager called The Think Tank. Okay, that's why I don't, I don't really yeah. remember Voyager other than it was kind of disappointing. Voyager's the horny one. <laughs> no, Vo- Voyager is the one that has the best first episode premise of the series and then doesn't live up to yeah. it. It's the reverse well, problem of every other Star Trek show. Yeah, I guess you're right, but I, I, Voyager's all right. It, it has some moments in it. Um, no, no, I mean, but, it's uh, like Janeway and stuff is like fucking awesome, and that's how you get like um, Seven of Nine. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, there's stuff there. Well, Seven of Nine, it takes like... It takes like two or three seasons for Seven of Nine to show up. Like, yeah, but it is a seven. wildly un- uneven show. Um, yeah, but I think it was that thing of like the premise is like so good, but they didn't really make the show for the premise. They did it because they wanted to be like, let's go back to like what the original Star Trek was like, and they came up with like a premise to get themselves there, and then they they kind of fucked themselves. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like someone should do that type of show again without having the the hang-ups of having to like fulfill some some franchise need. Someone should make a good Star Trek show. I heard that last season of Picard's really good. Uh, yeah. I heard Strange New Worlds is actually good. So, yes. Yeah, oh, and uh and uh, the the fucking Rick and Morty animated one. It's yeah, not well, actually Rick and Morty, but it's it's animated like it, so that's what turned me off. But I, I heard it's actually like good. Yeah, but that's I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to endorse the fact that like we're just doing that with every show now. That no, no, no. I, I don't either. So, but if it's good, it's good. You know what I mean? If if Star Trek can get its shit together in terms of the live action stuff, then maybe I'll be cool with it. Um, and a good way to get good with that is to kick a Giva Goldsman out of the room. But what's that guy's deal? I don't know. They're doing an I Am Legend sequel. It's so stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, there's someone who's like never done anything good. I guess Practical what are you Magic. Talking about? <laughs> yeah, Practical Magic. Um, they wrote Batman Forever. Yeah, bad. No, it's, that's a good movie. People have reclaimed oh, that now. It's over. It's Diego, over. you hang out with fucking psychopaths, so yeah, it, it, it's if their endorsement of a movie doesn't matter, it does it does? No, it doesn't. Matter. Um, see, Letterbox got bought by like some conglomerate. I did see that. That's fucking. That, that'll be that'll be a mercy killing when they take that website down. <laughs> Letterbox was a mistake. I like Letterbox, film, even film with t- all the bullshit. Film Twitter was a mistake. No, peace was never an option. Um, yeah, Brock and Bullwinkle. It, 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 we could we could talk a little bit more about it. Let's talk about yeah. Well, uh, Jason Alexander is great. I will. I do also like Renee Russo as uh, Natasha. Oh um, yeah, she's, yeah. She's not like really comedic in the same way, but she does a she does do a good job. Where is yeah, she in her also, career at this point? Like, I don't know, but she she's also wildly committed. I should say that she's definitely wildly committed to that fucking role. Everyone that... seems committed in this movie, which is what makes it kind of even worse. Like that, like you kind of want to be like, no, don't don't try this hard. Like it's not gonna pay off. I a little bit right. It's almost like kind of embarrassing. Yeah, it's like like I, I, I don't like saying that, but it is. 
I really, I honestly think a lot of it comes down to the direction. I think the guy who directed it just didn't get this kind of humor and style, right? But I think they, yeah, I think maybe. they liked, I think they liked it. Is the thing like I don't think it was someone who came in like really like hating the material. I think they really want to do a good job, and you can feel them wanting to do a good job, and they just they just don't have it in them, right? Yeah, like, but. Uh, but you you would ask where Rene Russo is in her career. Um, I don't know. <laughs> All right, um, thank you. She well, look, she she married uh, Dan Gilroy, the brother of Tony Gilroy, back in '92 before this movie came out. Um, they've been happily married ever since. And the most recent stuff she's been in was a movie by him called Velvet Buzzsaw, and his first. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Direct- I, I did see uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Not very, not very good. Um, but I, I like Dan Gilroy. I like the Gilroy brothers in general. We obviously yeah, talked about we, Michael Clayton, which is fucking incredible. He did um, Nightcrawler too, right? Nightcrawler is really good. I love Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, that was his directorial debut because this is that's the beginning kind of of like writers having to direct their own material because mm-hmm. they need to keep control over it. <laughs> like in this in this modern era, that's always kind of happened, you know. Yeah. But I mean, like it's become a big thing. We've talked about it where it's like some writers can't make that transition. I think Dan Gilroy actually did make it very well. I just didn't like Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, the last movie she's credited for is Avengers Endgame. Uh, don't tell me that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Well, she, she's not bad in it. Mm-hmm. She's a good actress. I don't know why she, what, what, what she's been up to. Um, yeah. Hopefully she's whatever she's doing. She's enjoying life. Yeah. Um. She uh, apparently back in 2014 revealed that she uh, has bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and um, she has started taking medication for it and, and receiving assistance for it. Even though initially she was like apprehensive about it, like, like oh, like you know, people I think can be apprehensive about like, well, I don't, I don't need something to help me deal with this this issue in my life and. Um, it's good that, you know, she's, she's gotten assistance for it and, uh, hopefully she, she is, yeah, you're right. Living a very happy, comfortable life, uh, married to another very talented person, talented power couple in Hollywood, a secret power couple. There you go. Dan Gilroy should also make another movie soon, even though I didn't like Velvet Buzzsaw. Rocky and Bullwinkle. No way, he's writing on he's he's writing on season two of Andor. There you go. Put her I, I, I in Andor. Will shoot you. I'm gonna shoot you, Diego. <laughs> no. I want to talk about good stuff too. Okay, fine, fine, fine. We'll go back to Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah, we want to talk about something good. Uh, James Rebhorn is the president in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Didn't he just pass away? Um, you know what? He passed away like. 10 years ago at this point, but it what does feel fu- like, <laughs> yeah, it does feel kind of shocking still. Like you feel like he's one of those guys that like, he can't really be dead. Can he like, yeah, he's one he of look- the great like character actors. It's probably cause he's looked the same since like the nineties. Right. Like yeah. he, he looked about the same as he did in, uh, what is he? He's in the game, right? Like he's one of the, he's one of the guys who does the game in the game. Yes. Yes, the he's game. in the game. From the game. Is that the Fincher you don't like? No, I from the 90s? I like that movie, but it also I think is it, it contains everything I hate about David Fincher. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Well, it's no mank. Fucking mank. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm a mank. Rocky and Mank Winkle. When is the killer coming out? Uh, like a month after recording this. Yeah, it's gonna be good. It probably will be. It's gonna be good. And I'm gonna watch it and be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the person that hates it the most at this point. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like the knives might be out for Fincher a little bit. Um, I think. Oh yeah, because he's saying some truly fucking bullshit. Yeah, did he say anything else? Like, I just there was just that one quote I read. No, it was the one, but that's a really bad quote. Yeah, it is a pretty bad one. But then there's also him, like, talking shit during, like, the Mank thing. Yeah. um, I mean, he's kind of just a shit talker, which, hey. um, Yeah, you kind of have to... You have to to back up your shit talking, I think. I think he hasn't always been able to back it up. Here's a weird take that has nothing to do with Rocky and Bullwinkle. I see a lot of people going... You know what's actually aged like really well because of how fucked up things are? The social network. And I kind of feel the opposite about the social network. Like, I feel like that movie's actually aged poorly. Because it's too nice to fucking, what's his face? A little bit, yeah. Um, and... See, I, I've never felt that the movie was very nice to him. In hindsight, it is too nice to him because it's not critical enough. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it's very kind to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've never thought it, it needed to age better also, though, because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what like, it really is? It's like Peter Thiel is in that movie. And mm-hmm. he's like just like, oh, he's the guy who gave them money. And it's like, that's a guy who believes in the Jewish international banking conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And he's like a co-founder of PayPal. Like, and it's like, they just kind of just don't, we just like kind of brush over that really quick. And it's, when, when I rewatch it, I'm just like, that's, you know, that feels like it's missing, it's missing it, like a little bit, right? You know? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Oh, oh, they, they wanted to make a movie about, like, look at how crazy it is now, like, we have all these young billionaires in this country, which is kind of the Silicon Valley thing at the time. And it's like, and young people don't really have that, like, moral compass, right? Like, yeah. they're kind of, they're, they're, you know, a lot of what he did is typical early 20-somethings behavior, except when he did it, he was dealing with, like, billions of dollars. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, this anti-semites invested in facebook and then it it (laughs) fucked up our elections and um so yeah to me it's one of those like i mean i I mean i also think that's similarly about jobs right but that movie wasn't Mm -hmm. received very well initially yeah so and i mean i and like i love the social network when it came came out and i also don't think i can like say it's a poorly made movie i just think that it's aging worse than people are willing to acknowledge in a lot of ways. No, no, I, I think you have a you have a great point. Yeah. Uh, um, right. I mean, to the last point on that is that when a lot of people are clamoring for Sorkin to write a sequel to it to be even more critical of him, and I'm mm-hmm. like, no, he's still not the guy you get to write this yeah. shit. <laughs> like, who don't do, do that. Get, who do you get to write like Social Network now? 
I, I was almost going to say David Mamet, but I was like, oh, right, I forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's all like yeah. mega head now, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you get... Uh, you you Joe, Maybe just don't do it. Joe Dante <laughs> out of retirement. Oh, my God. You go you go full Gremlins 2 with it. Okay, yeah. So, there's my pitch. I don't know what you that means, that. but that's my pitch. <laughs> No, no. People forget he could like he wasn't just a comedy like horror guy. Like you watch the Howling. That movie's fucking like tense. Yeah, he's a good director. He, he, he just got yeah uh, like weird. He got pigeonholed. Yeah, he got pigeonholed into a weird like you kind of do Amblin-y things, right? Yeah, and it's like and, no, he 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 clearly just had so many directions yeah. he could have gone. I mean, that's all those guys from that era, right? Like that they all yeah. really could have gone in those directions, and then they kind of just for whatever reason weren't allowed to. Yeah, I mean that's Carpenter, you know. Yeah, but Carpenter did and get the stretch a little bit. Like he did, he did, he, he some did but you know, movies. he didn't want to be the horror guy, and yeah. now he's embraced that title. But you know, he didn't go into it wanting that. Mm-hmm. But John anyways, Carpenter's the Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. No, John Carpenter's Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, yeah I know, I know, this. I know, I know. Um, Here's a big pitfall of this movie is that uh, the, the live action quote unquote Rocky and Bullwinkle look fucking terrible. You think so? Yeah, even for the era, it looks really bad. Yeah. It's 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 not good. Um I think the, the animation uh outside of that, like in the beginning and the, the bookends, like it it's not like um it's not bad. I think that's looks good. No, no, the animation's fine. It's when they're in the uh, actual real world that looks terrible. Like, yeah, yeah. No, so. that that stuff. It's like they, they're so like smooth. It looks unfinished. It genuinely yeah. looks unfinished. Like it hasn't uh, like registered. Yeah, in the it really does. It, yet. it looks like a weird previs thing. Like yeah, that they're like this will be the placeholder until we uh, do the final designs, and then it's like movie comes out next week, and it's like oh no. <laughs> Um, Jonathan Winters returning to the podcast. Yes, yes. Pops up as, I believe, three different characters. <laughs> none of which make any sense. No. One of whom doesn't even really have a joke to him. One is just like straight up just, he just plays a cop at one point, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's the second why. of a cop gag because the other one is John Goodman. Who mm-hmm. pops up as like a cop on like uh, fake stories starring real police officers or whatever it's called? <laughs> like that's <laughs> some dumb name like that. So they already did the, the the cops joke, and then he just shows up as a cop again. There's a scene where they steal Boris and Natasha steal his helicopter, and he just yells at them as they fly away. Like, boy, if I get my hands on you, <laughs> like yeah, and like, I just don't know why what and then he's just another guy with a plane at one point i'm guessing that's a reference to it's a mad 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 world because he's like like it's a road movie you know yeah and they make the joke that like why don't we just fly and they're like because if we flew we can't do the movie like yeah it's 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 a road movie for no real reason um (laughs) and yeah, I mean, we should also make that clear that this is the type of movie that is, like, openly trying to be, like, meta-commentary on itself. Yeah. Where they're like, why this? Why that? And then Piper Parabola is like, I don't know. I'm just a character in the movie. You know? Like... Yeah. 
Which it sounds like more entertaining and, and clever than it is. And I, I'm not even saying that like out of anger. Mm. Like, it's just that the movie has like kind of no life to it. Yeah. It's uh, it's what we would call the Deadpool problem. I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, a little bit. So, um, when are we going to finally, what is the culture just going to accept that Deadpool wasn't good? Like, I know film Twitter doesn't like it, but. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. That third. Hopefully, when Deadpool three comes out, that it's gonna make like seventeen billion dollars. I don't know. I I think just the tide has turned on it too much. Ryan Reynolds, Free Guy, made like a fucking shit ton of money. Like if if Ryan Reynolds can get Free Guy up to a certain number, fucking Deadpool three is gonna make money. I don't know. He's our last movie star. Don't say that. <laughs> That's where we're at. That's who the culture has voted for. Hey, remember when he scabbed to do uh, X Men Origins Wolverine back in two thousand nine? And then... I actually, I actually did not know that. But hey. yeah, that um, yeah, he he rewrote his lines on that movie. That oh. was during a writer strike. Yeah, and oh. then maybe tried to get the movie off the ground uh, on the most recent writers and actors strike. Yeah. I know a lot of the stuff kept working until basically the actors also started striking, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't really know what the rule like what the proper protocol is, but like yeah. Um don't write, obviously, if there's a strike. Yeah. That's yeah. that's one you don't cross. Like if you're an actor yeah. and you're just acting in a film, like whatever, but Yeah, if you're repeating the lines that have already been written, it's that was like that was a pass, but now because of, thankfully like solidarity and stuff like that, people are like working together to not cross picket lines. Uh, but some people didn't get the memo, I guess. So, yeah. well, I know uh-huh. it's complicated now that like the writers are over, but the actors is still going on. So I know there's like a little bit of conflict there, but yeah, that might be solved yeah. by the time this episode comes out. So if that's the yes. case, we won't have to worry about it too much. But, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Speaking of cameos, um, the two biggest cameos in this movie. If you John Polito. Well, no, yes, John Polito. But the biggest one, if you were Macaringo in the year 2000. Fucking Keenan and Kel roll up. <laughs> yeah! As Martin and Lewis. That uh, was very funny. It is very funny. Um, it's there's, there's a running gag about how essentially... They're going to be washed up one day. Yeah. (laughs) That's never going to happen to us, is it? Although Keenan Thompson, like, you know, hanging in there, right? Like. Yeah, yeah. He's he's still on SNL. And allegedly one of the guys that uh, might, he's, he's allegedly in the running for taking over SNL when Lauren Michaels retires. Whoa, like what the f- This is he, the first I've heard that rumor. He's one of the guys that they're always throwing around because he's been there longer than anyone at this point. And he essentially grew up in sketch comedy, right? Like, yeah. He was working since he was a literal child. Like, it's it's either him or, like, Seth Meyers is the other one they throw around as, like, the guy who, like, really understands that stuff. Hey, and you know what? Those two choices are pretty good. They're pretty good, yeah. And I just think that it it Seth Meyers has his own talk show right now, so um, who knows if he can balance both things? But yeah, um, yeah, he would he would have to end that show. And I actually like 
Seth Meyers talk show because he brings on like comic book guys. Like he, yeah. he brings, he's the only one who brings on Grant Morrison to talk yeah. about their work. You know, yeah. like, he brings on a lot of, and also he's very good at like when he brings on an actual comedian, like actually having good rapport with them, which some talk shows, yeah. Jimmy Fallon, um, struggle mm-hmm. with in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we finally started hating Jimmy Fallon for like legit reasons recently. I know, not just like, hey, it's kind of annoying and not funny. Like, yeah. oh no, he's like a terrible person. Turns okay. out he's like really fucked up. But um, <laughs> anyway, so Keenan and Kel are members of Wasamata U University, the head of which the president of is fucking Norman Lloyd, who passed away like two years ago at age 106. He worked with Orson Welles. <laughs> He's in this goddamn movie. I believe his last movie is like Trainwreck with, uh, what's her name? Um, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, 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 that one. Uh, and so he's in this on top of everything. I feel like Norman Lloyd like kept having those moments where like, we better give him some work because there's no way he's going to be around much longer. And then he hung in there for like 20 more years. Um... I'm and surprised then, you haven't... Well, here, I guess you're going to bring up the other big cameo. Well, no, no, I want to talk about What's the Matter You real quick. Okay. Because that's okay. a whole sequence where they're on the road, they get separated, they end up at What's the Matter You, which is having an anti-moose protest. <laughs> and it, at which someone directly invokes the civil rights movement. <laughs> because Bullwinkle's getting an honorary degree, so the protesting college students have shown up Bullwinkle gives a speech that is so inane that college students can't find anything to find offensive in it, and then they celebrate him. Yep. That's a it's that's a wild sequence that has no reason to be in this movie. No, no, it feels like someone was really upset at stuff like the civil rights movement. Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> or college and, or college protesters like, or college protesters you know which are protesters. mainly you know uh which uh, back in the day were mainly like white middle class kids from rich families who are trying stuff out for the first times and the moment they graduate they become republicans so i can understand having a bit of a beef with them yeah yeah all right who's the other cameo you you want to talk about Billy Crystal shows up as a mattress salesman. Uncredited as a mattress salesman who they just, they, uh, Boris and Natasha just fall on. I couldn't fucking believe my eyes. How do I do it? Volume! Um, Billy Crystal. Why is Billy Crystal in this movie? Because he's a consummate showman. Remember when he was in blackface at the Oscars? I know, I know, I know. Remember when that? I, remember when that literally happened and like no one said anything? <laughs> I don't get the chance to talk about how much I've loved Billy Crystal as an actor. I love Billy Crystal I, too. And I then want it, to. <laughs> I remember that now, and it's like fuck. That's right. Well, the other one is fucking uh, Ted Danson. What? The you don't know the infamous Ted Danson blackface? No. This is actually related. Uh I I don't even know how to explain it. But uh just to say it now. Ted Danson was dating Whoopi Goldberg at one point. No! 
Manson was dating Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, they were there was a roast. There was a Whoopi Goldberg roast, and he fucking no. showed up in blackface at it. Oh my god! And you can find pictures, and it's not like look. Billy Crystal blackface was bad, but they actually tried to make him look like an African American, which I don't know if that makes it better. But Ted Danson no, was straight it doesn't. up. Ted Danson was straight up doing like minstrel blackface. Oh my god. Yeah. And it was apparently Whoopi's idea, or at least she's been like willing to take the bullet for him in interviews, like post people being like, what the fuck? <laughs> like but, uh, yeah, that was a thing that happened. Um, you can find pictures of it. Don't, don't recommend it. I'm good. Uh, and I think that's why Ted Danson has just doubled down on being, like, the greatest TV comedy actor of all time. <laughs> like... See, I'm, I'm a cool, nice guy. Everyone likes me. Don't yeah. Google me. Yeah. This is like, it's just a, a very, very, very long apology. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you well, know, I mean, this is why people should shut the fuck up about cancel culture because, like, the culture has basically forgiven him. Like, it's not like he's canceled, right? Mm-hmm. He's had yeah. an insanely lucrative television career. So, um, and, like, I, you know, it's not like he did it and then was, like, doubled down and was like, actually, what I did was cool and fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, I think it was one of those where, like, five minutes into it, they realized they had made a mistake. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's another one. Um, All right. I'm surprised you didn't know about that. I, I, I had no did, idea. Did people just not know that one anymore? Yeah. Like, Cause it's like, that was like a the, big the PR deal. teams buried that, I guess. I guess. But it, you know, it was the nineties. Like that stuff was a little harder to stick around, but yeah. Um, I mean, people don't know about the Adrian Brody Jamaican thing. Was that on SNL? That was SNL, yeah. But that's also the one where, like, they, like, SNL, which not, like, it's not like SNL would shy away from blackface. They did blackface <sighs> until shockingly recently on that show. But, uh, that was the famous one where, like, he just, did, like, he just did whatever he wanted on the show and, like, got banned. Like, he's one of the, he's one of the guys that's like, you're never coming back here. Like, he had, like, all these terrible ideas that he basically forced through because he was the host. Yeah. What's up with well, that? Well, it's a good thing we have progressed as, as a society. Yeah, now we're only protesting mooses. Mises. <laughs> um Oh yeah, I guess I do like the the voice performance of uh Bullwinkle on this. Yes, not the original voice who had, who had, no. I believe it passed away by this point. Um, yeah. But, Which uh, I guess I guess if you just can do Bullwinkle, you're just Bullwinkle for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, what is they have they done anything, Rock? You know what they they've done like Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff recently, and I don't think he's been involved. So did they? Yeah. Um, what the fuck like, did they, they do? It was like some Netflix thing. Oh, that doesn't count. That's not real. Yeah, it, it really it isn't, but I think they did it. So, cuz there was like that when they did the Peabody and Sherman movie, which is terrible. And the fact that Diego stands by it in any capacity is shocking. I um, I I, I I just said I remembered it being good. That, yeah, that may not be yeah, true. Yeah. Um, but Mr. Peabody and Sherman, when they were doing that, there was kind of a like 
Let's try Rocky and Bullwinkle again, like, for five minutes. And uh, it just didn't, it, like, wasn't like a flop like this was, but it just didn't go anywhere. Um, but, yeah, so the villain's plan in this movie is they buy a TV station. They're going to call really bad television, which there's a shocking amount of effort in this movie to put up billboards and signs for really bad television in the background out of focus that you wouldn't notice unless you were looking for it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a real weird attempt to make that ever-present. Actually, and... that's really funny that you mentioned that. Because there's, like, multiple images of, like, okay, they're, they're doing a scene transition from, like, the the henchman chasing Rock and Bullwinkle or, or Rock and Bullwinkle and Piper Parabo, like, moving to a new location, whatever, right? They mm-hmm. always start, like, at the sky and, like, tilt down or whatever. Mm-hmm. Fucking watch this again. I don't know how many times, but... They'll like they'll show like the birds flying in the sky, whatever. And I swear to fucking god, they're out of focus, and I don't know why this keeps fucking happening in this movie. It's but I it's, caught it like three separate times, and then they they tilt down and everything's in focus, obviously. But I was like, why? What is that? They are. Did, it's it's a subtle way of reminding you about uh, Rocky's arc in the film about getting back to being a flying squirrel. Yeah, but why are they out of focus? It's it's an attempt because it's it's subtle. It's it's this movie. If there's one thing about this movie, it's subtlety, Diego. Uh, it's it's known for its subtlety. Um, you remember when Rocky flies at What's the Matter You to save Bullwinkle, and then oh yeah, just, yeah. the movie goes. Actually, we don't actually want to finish that arc right now, and so they just go back to Rocky not being able to fly. Yeah, yeah. They just they just go. They start driving Keenan and Kel's car because yeah. they give it to them. And they're just like, like Rocky finishes flying, and it's like, although Rocky had that brief moment of whatever, it, it, Rocky immediately realized that he couldn't fly anymore again, and he goes back to being depressed. And it's like, the fuck, yeah. But uh, do you remember the name of the show that they're producing? Really bad television. No, what what is it? I don't, I don't remember. Three funny and wacky wacky spies and their horse, who will also be a spy. <laughs> And it's just like three guys that look like Boris on like a horse. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole show. You know what actually got me too? Uh, Oh, oh, how did we not mention Randy Quaid is like the leader of the FBI in this? Oh yeah, but also because like he's not like he doesn't do anything really. No, he's in like three scenes. He shows up to yell at Bullwinkle at one point. He wears like goggles to prevent really bad television from like affecting his brain you know yeah because because bullwinkle walked into the white house and he's talking to the president who he doesn't realize is brain dead at this point and then he starts looking at the tv and then randy quaid's like oh not you too and then bullwinkle's like huh like i guess uh television's like uh, still good or whatever the fuck like he says something about like television's still fine these days or whatever yeah. and it's like oh he's too stupid so he doesn't become a brain dead zombie watching TV. He's already in it. Yeah, he's already too stupid. Um, get it? Because he's a fucking moron. He's a dumb moose. Yeah, and I'm like, this is like kind of mean. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of mean. He just wants to save the fucking trees. Goddamn it! I know. He's not doing anything wrong. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but Randy Quaid's in this, and this is before I think the public knew he was crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, or maybe he, it wasn't. He, I don't know. Now he like genuinely had a mental breakdown though, right? Like that's not yeah. that's not like oh, he had like weird political beliefs. Like he genuinely had a break with reality. 
Like, yeah, but he but, also does have weird political beliefs now. Yeah, but that's that. that's 100% connected to his his That's you know, I actually I'm not smart enough to really talk about those things because but like I I I've seen people go off the rails and then like suddenly they like the, the conspiracy rap hole is like basically primed to suck in people with mental illness, you know? Like mm-hmm. it's so I, I can't say that as like an excuse, but like I've seen people who have like had sort of psychotic breaks and then because we live in this age where we all have cell phones that are connected to the internet, all you have to do is like type a few things into Instagram and like boom, you're into some conspiracy shit, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he it, it really comes down to what did they believe before the kind of break, right? Like yeah. um but uh who's the I I had someone I know who did have a similar break, but they were kind of like conservative before the break and then they just got more conservative, so I was like, well this was probably going to happen anyway. Mm. But uh um, I'm sorry to hear that. That eh, shit fucking shit's fucked up. Um, but you know, yeah, Randy Quaid, man, that's a weird one. Um, he just like he's just not doing anything, right? Because he's like also like he owes the government like a shit ton of money in taxes, right? Yeah, I, I think so. He tried to like break into Canada at one point. Oh yeah, there was a lot going wife. on with him. Um, yeah, did you know he played? Did you know he played Colonel Tom Parker? What? No, in like an Elvis TV movie that no one remembers. Was that the the John Carpenter one? No, no, that's uh, way too oh. early. It's the one with like Jonathan oh. Reese Myers as uh, oh. Elvis. Yeah, so it's a TV movie. No one remembers it. Um, but oh, it's like one of those like two part TV movies. That makes sense. Yeah, you know we need another they used one to of do those that. for Elvis. Yeah. Um, but hey. Yeah, there's a, yeah. I don't even think we can really cover it. Like Jeff Jeff Ross pops up as like an attorney for one second in this. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything funny. Like no, it's just Jeff just, Ross. Yeah, it's just like oh okay. It really is one of those like you look at him, you're like, is that Jeff Ross? And then he finally has a line, and you're like, holy shit, that is Jeff Ross. Like <laughs> there's a lot of those. Doug Jones is also uh, an FBI agent. Yeah, one of the because like the 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 thing that turns him into literal vegetables, right? So he's one yeah, of the vegetables. which is people. like a very disturbing makeup effect. It I is. Say. I actually remember it frightening me as a child. Like when I was when I when I thought thought back to this movie, I was trying to think like, what jokes do I actually remember from this movie? It was like I remember like the 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 Are you talking to me? Because it was in every ad. I remember Bullwinkle going into the computer. I remember Keenan and Kel. And I remember this vegetable people because they frightened me. <laughs> yeah, that that so. was um, that was uh, odd. That that was some Cronenberg shit just fucking yeah. thrown at the end of this movie. Again, I think it's I think it's another like it's made by someone who doesn't really know the material they're working with because like it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's not. No, it's uh, just it's upsetting and disturbing. Yes. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't know. Let's just wrap up because that's yeah. I don't think what, what else really, do we have to say here? This thing, like, there's really not much other than like I will say like the some stuff I liked was like 
when I like some of Boris and Natasha's shit, like when they're kind of like scheming, you know, I like that all their like gadgets, like even though they're in the real world, they just still resort to dynamite and like shit yeah. that like dropping saves on them and stuff like that. And those actually look really good in terms of looking like cartoon saves and cartoon dynamite. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, probably the best performance of this movie is Jason Alexander. He basically acts Robert De Niro off the screen. Which is fucking uh, shocking, you know. And, um, um, oh, you know, I, I like, will say, I also, I also do like the moment where they're like, "Hey, we're like bad at this. Like, mm-hmm. we we kind of suck at this henchman thing." And they're like, yeah. it's like a very vulnerable moment for cartoon <laughs> characters." <laughs> yeah, it feels like the movie could have done more of that, where it's like they're in the real world now and they have to like kind of deal with that fact. But um, I guess yeah, that's what the Barbie time movie. They, did like that's what the Barbie movie kind of settled on was that like she goes to the real world but like going to the real world like breaks her mm. <laughs> yeah um, whereas I this I don't control uh, the railways or the flow of commerce that made me laugh that, um, that's my favorite line in the movie same like that's one of those where like the only other one was someone yells out I can't even remember the context but I remember someone yelling white savior Barbie in it do you remember that no. Someone yells white savior Barbie and I was taking a drink of my soda and like I almost choked on my soda. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good movie. It's uh, I was that shocked at how movie. good that movie was, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Michael Sarah performance just fucking snuck yeah. in the middle of that movie too. <laughs> that's a that is though another one where there's a lot of kind of like people on screen for two seconds who kind of just fucking kill it right like yeah yeah like the new doctor who's in that movie the, the oh, yeah. Yeah. and it's just I, I was like who the fuck is this guy like he's he, he's a minor character in that movie yeah. and it's like he just fucking kind of stole every scene he was in mm. he's in like three <laughs> but but he was good yeah the barbie movie is what rocky and bullwinkle i think was trying to to be yeah, honest, it's it like was, eventually uh, 20, it was 20 years too early and also not good. <laughs> yes, yes, but um, I gotta say, it's for it's 90 minutes, it's kind of an admirable swing. Like, if you want to check it out, I'm not gonna tell you not to, you know, like if you, you might... are curious about it, you're gonna find, like, I mean, because we're not angry about this movie, yeah, you know? we're not, it, there is no like part it, of it where like. Because here's the thing, I feel like a few years later, like, post-Shrek, had this movie been made, it, they would have rolled Rocky and Bullwinkle out, and it would have been people being like, what are you, a fucking flying squirrel? Like, where, like, everything is just, it's, like, it's all just shit like the Mario movie, right? That it's like, yeah. it's all that type of humor. And... I, I even though this doesn't really work, I much prefer this to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, this yeah. was a also, huge bomb. I mean, if you're if you're a Kenneth Lonergan completed completionist, I, yeah, you know, I like, guess check it out. I guess it is one of those where, like, if I ever ended up in a room with him, I would just ask him questions about this movie. I would like, too. Like, I would because I, I still I have nothing but questions about yeah. the choices that were made and what went wrong. And but yeah, it uh made 36 35 million on a 76 million dollar budget. We used to give 76 million dollar budgets to a fucking Rocky and Bullwinkle movie and a first time feature film director. Yes. That um, does my, not happen anymore. My god. Actually, he does have one directing credit before this. 
Oh, what, what, what is it? It's it's something I don't even fucking know. But he oh, made boy. one movie before this. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, I, I just remember reading that he had done like one movie, but I think it was like a film like in England that was made for like ten dollars. So mm. it's is it a, is it even a real movie? Probably not. Um, it might be. No, we don't no. know. No. There's no way of knowing. No one will ever know. This is he is one of those guys where like he has like movie credits and then like none of those movies have Wikipedia pages. So yeah, yeah. Know. The the Wikipedia page is shockingly small. Mm-hmm. But uh, right. hey, some you gotta get your foot in the door somehow. Yeah, Can't. yeah. No, no disrespect to anybody who worked in this movie. Frankly, yeah. <laughs> Just. Uh, a very curious artifact. From... Roger Ebert, like you said, gave it three out of four stars. Has the same yeah, he... mixture of dumb puns, corny sight gags, and sly, even sophisticated in jokes. It's a lot of fun. And who am I to disagree with Raj? <laughs> Anyways. That's it for the movies we said we were going to talk about for the third season of the failed blockbusters. We haven't gotten one real stinker that just uh, is actually a disaster as opposed to our movies that were mostly good. (laughs) I mean, this is the closest we came to like a full out disaster this year. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's, it's, it is sort of, I will say, I think it is kind of a hateful movie sometimes, but it's not like you won't be hatefully induced while watching yeah. it, I guess. It's just like, you're, you'll you be like me. You'll be like, this is kind of fucking mean sometimes yeah. to these poor little critters. You'll mostly be confused, frankly. Yeah. Um, um, but... But the next movie we're going to talk about, the season finale, is a hateful film. But I also think it's one of the best movies ever made. And I, I, I'm only saying that now because I've not been subtle about how much I love this movie since I first saw it. Yeah, when we uh, was not on the bracket at all, and um, mm-hmm. it was one that uh, we just subbed in at the last minute for reasons that will become apparent. The moment I say the title, we're talking about Sorcerer, 1979 yes. Sorcerer, directed by William Friedkin. Yes, so we're yes. talking Sorcerer, which was, shockingly we never even suggested being like one of our failed blockbusters. So yeah. Um, it seems like one of the definitive failed blockbusters, frankly. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're so, looking forward to that. I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And all of, of Freakin's, like, weird Freakinisms, frankly. Yes. Um, um, but, yeah. yeah uh, look forward to so, that. That'll be, a, that'll be a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And either this week or the week before this release, you will also be able to hear our special Friday the 13th episode. This episode's going to come out way after that. You think so? It'll come oh, out like what, a week we, after. We ju- you just released... Uh, Hugo. You just released Hugo. Then we so got it's Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox. Which is next week. Uh-huh. And then, so yeah, the, so the episode will be out. So it's whatever. Um, okay, yeah. But, so go check that out too. I'm sure we have yes. thoughts. We haven't recorded we, that one yet at the time of we, this I, I literally just threw it out to Diego like five minutes before we recorded today. So yeah, because we were, we were, were gonna do like an exorcist thing, and then we're like, that's oh, a sorcerer. And Matt brought up the good point not to promote anything new because strikes are still ongoing. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a good idea. Diego, Diego said to me, I actually think crossing the picket line is fine and cool. 
And I was I like, Diego. I feel like people know I, I didn't say that. Diego, I can't believe you're saying such a thing. Thank God I, Macaringo, am a hero. And I'm here to tell you, let's not do that. Yeah, that sounds like me. It sounds exactly like you. Yeah. I guess I should stress just in case, like, no, Diego did not do that. Yeah, <laughs> crossing the picket Someone's line gonna... is, a, is, is a genuinely serious one, especially yeah. if yeah. You, you work in Hollywood. So, no, he didn't actually do that. But you know, Yeah. Um, just, no. Just thought um, I'd throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be doing that and Friday 13th. So, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for watching. Matt, thanks for joining me again. As yes. always, uh, links down to all of our stuff in the description. We, we don't managed need to, to do it plugs. under two hours, basically, for this one. So Yeah, that, that's pretty good. Pretty good pretty for good. us. Yeah. I almost went on a VTuber tangent, and then the recording got fucked up, and that was all lost to time. So, Well, you could go on a VTuber tangent for Sorcerer. Um, maybe, because I've learned some things about i was kidding what vox akama no when i i texted you about this you you did you did yeah 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 fucking fucking guy made a movie (laughs) so now i guess i have to see it yep also here's something i did not text you um when you got sick um vox akama also announced they were sick and were taking a little break so that's actually scary there's, there was about two seconds there where I was like, is, is, is Diego fucking with me? <laughs> <laughs> this has been a fucking long con. <laughs> what the fuck is your angle, Diego? Yeah, my, my favorite movie, Call Me By Your Name, right? That's, yeah, that's that guy's yeah your all-time movie. favorite. I mean, hey, you could, this could, it could just be a long con. It could all be part of some bit I don't understand. I don't know. It was your attempt to break me. It almost, it almost worked. Yeah. There's a... I, I texted there's... you at like 3 a.m. in a panic when I found <laughs> out he made a movie. <laughs> this is true, by the way. Yeah, I fucking like had like a fucking... Like fucking... I, I just didn't know how to process it. It's real like, I gotta fucking reevaluate my life, man. <laughs> maybe maybe but until then thanks everyone for listening thanks for watching like and subscribe if you didn't like this episode like and subscribe anyways because you might find something you do like uh we have been professionally unprofessional see you next week fuck off (laughs) good goodbye rocky bullwinkle and jonathan demi